The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com That's Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16, uh, is where we're going to uh, be focusing in on today. While you're turning there, a story is told about a a violent storm. Uh, This one particular night, uh, he says that a large tree which over the years had become a stately giant. Uh, This tree was found lying across the pathway in a park. Nothing but a splintered stump was left. Closer examination showed that it was rotten at the core because thousands of tiny insects had eaten away at, at its heart. The weakness of that tree was not brought on by the sudden storm. It began very Uh, the very moment the first insect nested within its bark. With the Holy Spirit's help, let us be careful to guard our purity. So one of the things I think that makes us weak and vulnerable, especially uh, vulnerable to the wily ways and deceptions of the world, is lack of purity. And I know that Uh, for a lot of times when you hear the word pure, you don't necessarily think of things that are strong. Uh, Purity just kind of has this more value thing. But in a lot of cases, uh, especially when it comes to dealing with metal, uh, the more pure it is, the stronger uh, these things are. And so we don't normally think of that, but I want us to kind of have that in our minds, especially when it comes to... um, our culture, society today. Um, Purity is commanded and purity is demanded in the scriptures. I'm sure that for many of you, if you spend some time in the scriptures, you'll get that point and that point comes uh, comes across very clear. No doubt it's there. But in our culture today, for many, many years now, purity is one of those things that's actually seen in a negative light. Uh, it has been. Not, I mean, it's, it is today for sure, but it has been actually for a while. I can remember as a child, I was introduced to the purity is not cool ideology by watching this movie called Grease. I don't know if you guys seen that movie Grease, but there, there was this one scene uh, where Olivia Newton-John plays Sandy and they were at the lunch table and the question Frenchie asked um, Rizzo, I can't believe I remember the names. Uh, Frenchie asked Rizzo, hey, what do you think about letting Sandy into the pink ladies? And Rizzo's response was, hmm, she looks too pure to be pink. It took me uh, some time to figure out what that meant. <laughs> I couldn't understand that, but purity especially when it comes to the pink ladies, was seen as a negative. It's always the bad boys who got the attention, the bad boys who got the girl. It was always the bad girls who got the attention, who attracted the boys. It was always the rebel without a cause who got the lead roles in the movies. In high school, you were kind of made fun of if you were still a virgin. They made fun of you. Now, Um, In middle school, in the school I went to in Florida, the question was, are you straight? Now, 
it doesn't, it didn't mean what it means today, okay? It had nothing to do uh, with these days. It had nothing to do with uh, whether you were gay or whether you were straight. In middle school at that time in Florida, when they asked you if you were straight, the question was, have you kissed somebody yet? Okay, so if you haven't kissed anybody yet, you were straight. And that was seen in the school as a bad thing. So when people were like, hey, Shane, are you straight? Uh, I know. <laughs> it just, it, it, these days it just sounds really strange when you say stuff like that. Purity was not cool. And even today, girls don't want to be known as good girls. Guys dress up in orange prison clothes now. Even today, purity is seen as not cool. Girls today idolize indiscreet women, and guys idolize criminals, especially the young. But even in the church, we see this. Even the church throughout the years, we have seen this dynamic. The statistics of premarital sex and, and drugs and alcohol use on the campuses of Christian universities today are no different than secular universities in our country. It's no different. Statistics are the same. Why the degradation of the purity, especially in our Christian institutions today? Now, for those of you, you know where I, you know, I went to... Uh, uh, a school up north here uh, to, uh, for my undergraduate studies. And I'm doing my undergraduate studies at Colorado Christian University. I'm just going to say it. Um, I, this was, wow, it, it, it would be years ago. <laughs> but this is years ago. Um, I re, you know, I'm studying to be a pastor. Uh, my, my bachelor's degree was in, uh, it was in biblical studies. And I, I'm, and I'm at Colorado Christian University. And uh, we just get done with class. And me and my friend, uh, he, he was actually boarding at Colorado Christian University. So he had a room. Um, I, I, my, my parents bought me a house in Highlands Ranch, so I lived there. But uh, um, <laughs> he, he had, a, he had a, uh, a dorm room. And I remember one day after class, uh, we went over to his dorm room because he wanted to show me uh, his uh, uh, report that he was doing, and we were working on this report together, and there was some book that I wanted to get. Now, he's also studying to be a pastor. We're in the room, and he's showing me the book, and we're you know, looking over some stuff, going over this project that we're working on, and next door, I hear the headboard banging the wall. This is at a Christian school with two guys in the room who are studying to be pastors. And I was just kind of like, is that what I think it is? And he goes, oh, dude, it's like every day and every night. And I'm just like, for real? And he's like, yeah, all night long, all night long. <laughs> Stuff is going, wow, how, how do you do that? I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to get... Um, to get transferred, but when I talk to the, the dorm person, the dorm person says that stuff is going on everywhere. So you can move rooms, but the room that you move to is probably going to have the same thing happening next door. Even the monitor is telling him that this stuff is happening. 
I remember even as studying to be a, a pastor, went to a, a church, I'm visiting this one church and I'm trying out this church and they had this uh, 20-somethings group. Went to the 20-somethings group that Sunday morning and we're all sitting in the 20-something Sunday morning uh, Bible study and we're studying the Bible and the, the, the leader is you know, teaching the Bible and had a good time and he goes, oh yeah, hey Shane, you know what? We have a, a, a night gathering. We do a small group at my apartment and, uh, you know, we have a this Sunday night service at my apartment, essentially is what he was saying. He goes, you should come, gives me the address, all that stuff. I go over there that night, and pretty much by the time I got there, I was on time. By the time I got there, every single person in that room was drunk. And, I, I mean, I stayed just because it was pretty funny watching drunk people talk about the Bible. It was, it was I mean, it was strange, but kind of funny, actually. I, I didn't go back, but... The lack of purity in the church. Now, this is when I was 20-something, which would have been 30 years ago. I, well, that's weird to say that. The, the degradation of purity in the church. The Bible gives us a great deal of insight as to how we can be pure. But our issue is even deeper than that, Deeper than knowing how, our issue is, do we even want to be pure in the first place? Yeah, the, the Bible will teach us how to be pure, but do we even want to be pure? That's really the issue that we're faced with. But it goes even further than that because it's not even a matter of whether we want to be pure or not. The reality is God wants us to be pure. It's commanded in the scriptures. James chapter 4 verse 8, James 4 8, come close to God, God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. That's in the imperative. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, 1 Timothy 5, 22, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That's also in the imperative. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, 1 John 3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. James chapter 1, verse 27, James 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a directive. It's a command. God is telling us that he wants us to be pure. So it's really not an option. Why is it that we treat it as if it is? This is the issue. This is the point. But see, now that we know the directive, we know it's not a choice. God wants us to be pure. Today, we're going to see how. The next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beit. Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 to 16. Psalm 119, 9 to 16. How can a person stay pure? Or a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. 
I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that you will cause it to always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is we're going to see how we can be pure before the Lord. The second thing we're going to explore is the need for us to protect how we can be pure. And finally, we will see the wonderful work of Christ that causes us to desire the law of God, and to desire to be pure. Our thesis statement today is this, and for those of you that don't know, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to be deceived into believing that purity is frivolous, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see the power in and protection of purity. So point number one, how to be pure. Bible tells us, simple. All right, I don't have to go into the Hebrew. I don't got to go into the Greek. I don't have to go into a whole uh, bunch of uh, hermeneutical gymnastics. The Bible tells us how we can be pure. Obey God's word. Whoa, isn't that something? (laughs) Just obey God's word. And the funny thing about it is, it's so simple. We all know it. We all know it. You guys even knew it before I even said it. But man, is it hard to do. This is clearly for us all, okay? It's clearly for us all, but the psalmist here is pointing out a specific. The specific um, is that it's addressed to the young. Why does he do that? He does that because, and we'll see this in Scripture, it's the young ones who, are, uh, who d- deal with historically, I'd say it this way, historically struggle with the temptations of various kinds. All right, so essentially what we see is young people are always struggling with this issue. Purity, all that stuff, it's there. We struggle with it. Um, Spurgeon writes, he is, or, he is just a young man, full of hot passions and lacking in knowledge and experience. How will he get on the right path and how will he stay there? It's essentially what he's saying. Young people. How in the world is young, young people who are full of young passions who are full of all types of, of things welling up within them, all kinds of stuff. You guys, you guys remember, you know, puberty? I mean, man, that, that stuff, like, you know, puberty, just, I just remember crazy, you know, just a lot of stuff happening, you know? <laughs> a lot of stuff, my voice cracked, all kinds of stuff. It was just, there was a lot of things that started to happen when there was puberty and, and all this stuff. So there's a lot of struggle, a lot of temptation. That's what, what Spurgeon is saying. How is a young person full of hot passions and lacking in knowledge because, you know, young people are seen as those who are growing in knowledge. So there's immaturity when it comes to experience and knowledge. How is this person supposed to stay pure in this world? That's the question. 
And the scriptures acknowledge the difficulty of young people having difficulty with making mature decisions when it comes to keeping themselves pure. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, 2 Timothy 2, 22, run from anything. Okay, so young people, and with this church, it's anybody under the age of 50. Run. <laughs> that was just a joke. Come on, come on, come on. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Not, it doesn't say deal with it. It doesn't say try it, figure it out, see what happens. You know, you, are you, do you do everything your parents tell you to do? Run. There's something here that stimulates. It's not even, it's not even the, the issue or, or the sin. If it's going to stimulate a lust within you, don't even mess with it. You run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart or pure hearts. One of my favorites here is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth. I love that. The excitement of youth. When we were young, man, the world, the, the whole world was our, our playground. You know, nowadays, you know, we can't, you know, there, there's no playground. I mean, Steve always talks about, you know, trying out the playground when they build it. You know, all we're asking for is pulled hamstrings, you know, backs, all that kind of stuff now. I mean, there's no playgrounds. Anyway. The excitement of youth. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. I love that. It's hard. It's a difficult thing. It's a struggle. A commentator writes this, there is another reason arising from the fact of the carnal propensities being very powerful in youth requiring a double restraint. And the more they are inclined to excess, the greater is the necessity for curbing their licentiousness. It is a powerful thing. The struggle with the lust, the youthful lust, the excitement of life, all of that stuff, it is a powerful thing in young people. So it requires a double restraint. But in the divine wisdom of God, the double restraint is given. It's called the word of God. How do you get on the right path? How do you stay there? If you are struggling with all this, how do you get on the right path? How do you stay there? We follow the directives of the scriptures. We have got to make the word, the word of God, our rule in life. And you cannot make it your rule if you don't know it. You cannot know it if you don't study it. And you cannot study it if you don't read it. Hello? Simple, simple, so simple. The Bible is like a map, okay? Um, some, sometimes I, have a, I struggle with, you know, doing these kinds of equations and all that stuff, but let's just for uh, illustration. The Bible is like a map. Even with the greatest care, 
a Christian will be led astray if the map misleads them. Okay? And even with the most accurate map, the Bible, a Christian will be led astray if you don't follow it. Wow. That's profound. (laughs) If we don't follow it. So here's the thing. If we're trying to get through life guiding with, with a guide that's not the Bible, then you will be led astray. Simple. So simple. We must absolutely remember that we can sin without even a thought at all. But do not be deceived. To follow the directives of Scripture, it will require thought and it's going to require effort with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We do not arrive at the narrow road by chance. We don't. And the careless will not get through it. The Scriptures make it clear that two things will happen that will lead to our ruin. Number one, trying to live a life with no rule at all. Sound like our culture today. And number two, we follow the wrong rules. Commentator James Anderson, he writes, the reason therefore of so much evil prevailing in the world arises from men wallowing in their own impurity and being disposed to yield more to their own inclinations than to heavenly instruction. The only sure protection is to regulate ourselves according to God's word. It does not take a brain surgeon to realize that what the commentator is suggesting is not far off. When you really think about so much that is wrong in our world, it's because so many are not following the directives in the Bible and people don't care about purity at all because being pure is uncool. It's just not cool to be, to be pure. Even in the church, we feel that what the scriptures command become options, or we see it as simply options, that it's subject to private interpretation, or they see the scriptures as irrelevant in our time today. And so in the end, we all tend to make up rules for ourselves. I'm counseling one individual right now who tells me that uh, um, he likes some of the Ten Commandments, not all of it. So he follows some of it, not all of it. Very interesting what, what, what Christians are doing today. Again, it makes me wonder, like, who's telling you this stuff? Who, who's teaching you this stuff? Some say, I like some of the teachings of Jesus, but I don't like all of it. Some of the things Jesus says I don't think applies to me. So we like some of the teaching of Christ, but not all, and I love saying this, some like the teachings of Paul, but not all. Where are we getting this stuff from? And in the end, we are all practicing what philosophers will refer to, what we call emotivism. Right and wrong is simply what you like and what you don't like. Oh, come on, tell me that's not our culture today. We decide right and wrong based on what we like and what we don't like. What do you mean? Simple. Do you like this? I like this. This makes me feel good. Then it's right. 
I don't like this. This doesn't make me feel good. Then it's wrong. Right, wrong, dependent on what we like and what we don't like. If it makes us feel good, then it's right. If it makes you feel bad, then it's wrong. Oh, but Shane, I like that. That sounds really good. What's wrong with that? In other words, we all do what's right in our own eyes. Ooh, have you heard that before? It's nothing new. It's, not, it's a, always been there. It's always happened. It's always been there. And by doing this, we are destroying the church and we are destroying the world. Because the question comes down to this. What if something make, that makes you feel good causes another person to feel bad? <laughs> who's right and who's wrong? That's why we don't follow our emotions. We follow the scripture. And when you follow your emotions... Essentially, when you're deciding right and wrong, your ethics based on what you feel, in the end, it's essentially the uh, existential philosophy ideology called follow your heart, right? Hey, you want authenticity in your life? Just follow your heart. Just whatever your heart tells you to do, do it. Yeah, this is why we don't follow the philosophies of man. We We follow the directives of God. Why are you going to follow your heart when God tells you in his word that the heart is deceitful above all things? You don't follow your heart. You follow Christ and Christ alone. So see, here's the thing. And so um, by doing this, we're destroying the church. We're destroying the world. Again, it's really relative because what if doing this makes you feel good? What if it causes another person to feel bad? In the end... Emotivism, following your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. This is why we need the Bible. And we struggle because we desire the things of the world and we desire these things even when Scripture forbids it. We make a huge effort to get the Scriptures to accommodate what it is that we're doing. And if we just can't get it to accommodate, we just dismiss the Scriptures. Why do we do this? If there is a, a thing that's happening in your life, a sin, the Bible is pretty clear. All we do is we just try to make the Bible not say it. I, 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 don't, I, I, just, I, I just really have a, a hard time with, with this one, you know? It's pretty clear uh, what we can extrapolate from the scriptures when it comes to transgenderism. I don't know how these guys are able to justify it by using the scriptures. I don't. And it's really bizarre. We do this really bizarre thing when it comes to what we like and when it comes to the scriptures and even when it comes to even listening to what other people say. This is is where existentialism has really won, uh, it is winning the battle because In our culture today, we don't like people telling us what to do. We just don't. When we do things, we've got to do things on our own, from what we think, from our own motivation. We don't like it when people tell us what to do, and we have an even difficult time when somebody tells us what God tells us we shouldn't do when we don't want to stop it. 
It's really amazing. It's like, as, if, you, if you decide to do this on your own, great. But if you're doing it because somebody told you to do it, then that's just not a good thing. It's just not authentic. That's not scripture. That's existentialism. That's the philosophies of the world. But this is what I'm saying. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, I'm having a conversation with this person who's going to a church that's just horrible. The, the lead pastor is, uh, denies that Jesus was God. Uh, just, I mean, just bad. And, and the things that they're doing, the practices that they're doing, um, you know, uh, 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 an individual could say, hey, you know what? God just told me that I'm actually supposed to be married to this guy. So this church is granting, granting people to get divorced so they can marry who they believe God really wanted them to be with. You know, all, this, just, this is just a really bad church. And I'm telling this individual, this is a really bad church. And and a lot of stuff that is, it's not just even questionable. This is just really bad. You need to get out of there. And, and he's just like, well, you know, I, I, I think that God will, will make that known to me and, and God will make that clear. And when God does and God shows me that it's clear, then I will leave. Okay, so... How are you making that decision? I, I'll just, I'll just know. I said, familiar with scripture because a lot of the scriptures will will give you some insight on this. Uh, no, Shane, you know I don't, I don't really read the Bible. I'm not really familiar with scripture. I'm not really familiar with that theology. I, I'll leave that stuff up to the experts. I said, okay. So I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I do have a graduate degree in theology, and I'm telling you, as a expert, that you're going to a bad church. And, and he's just like, well, I think God will show me that this is what I need to do. How do you know that God's not showing you by bringing me into your life to help you with this? Because the Bible does talk about these kinds of things, that this is what we're here for. Is that possible? Oh, oh no, no, no. God's going to show me that it's really him. Okay. So then I said to him this situation. Why is it that you can't leave the church and then pray about it, understand it, uh, look at it, and then if God shows you that this is a good church, then you go back to it? Is that an option? Well, I suppose that is an option, but it's not an option you're going to do. No. Okay. How about this? Let's just say I am an expert in dog poop. Should I turn the camera off for this? Okay, no, we'll leave it on. Okay, we're going to leave it on, Jack. Uh, one of the elders said that it's okay, so we're going to go with that. And I'm telling you, you're standing in dog boot. And I'm an expert in it. And you're standing there going, I don't think it is. But it smells like it. Kind of looks like it. You know what? I'm just going to stay here until I find out that it's not, that it is. And then when I find out for sure that it is, then I'll leave and I'll get up and walk away. I said, how ridiculous is that? 
If it smells like it, kind of looks like it, you're not sure it is, and an expert in it is telling you you're standing in it, wouldn't you go like this? All right, I like that spot. Let me do some research. Let me do some you know, studying. I'll, I'll take some samples, all that stuff, find out whether it is or not. And then when I find out it's not, then, oh, okay, I'll just go back to standing in it. Wouldn't we do that? But that's not what we do. We'll stand in it when everything is pointing to it. And I'm going to wait till I, who is not an expert in dog poop, I am not an expert in it. I will stand here till I figure out that this is what it is. And I know that for sure. And when I do, then I'll leave. Why do we do this? Why do, you do, why do we do this? Why, why, why don't we, we, we get caught up in this and we just say, is it because you're not going to leave here because somebody told you to? Nobody tells me what to do. I don't care if this is dog poo. I'm standing it, in it because I decided I'm going to stand in it. What is this? Why do we do this? And so the individual is going to stay at this church when everything is pointing to the fact that you need to get out of here as soon as possible. You're going to stay there until God somehow, some way shows you that it's time for you to leave. Where do we get this stuff from? Why does this happen? So the scriptures make it clear. Because we are, by nature, wired to reject the law of God and to follow our own desires. We decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. In other words, the knowledge of good and evil. This is why the psalmist is crying out and yearning for the Lord to not let him wander from the laws of God. This is why he seeks. This is why he searches. This is why he strives. And this is why he hides it. Point number two, not only do we need to learn from it, not only do we see the secret to keeping it and to stay on the path, we also need to protect it, hiding the word as we would a treasure. The Hebrew word safan, to be understood as hiding sheltering, or keeping safe because it's highly valuable. This is not just reading the Bible. It's called meditating on the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God. It is concentrating and memorizing the text to be rehearsed over and over as to become a part of our lives. This is super important to know that this is what is commanded by God, not just to read, but for us to meditate upon it day and night. Memorizing the text, concentrating, rehearsing it over and over again. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Joshua 1 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. So do you want to know how we can be sure that we are going to obey what it is that God tells us to do? When we read his word, we don't just read it. We meditate upon it. We concentrate. We memorize it. We rehearse it over and over again. 
Then and only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Wow. Meditating on God's word. Not just reading it, meditating upon it. Oh, saying, you don't understand, man. You know, just this, you know, memorization is just really, really hard. I used to say it to young people all the time. It's amazing. I ask you if you guys can quote a scripture, they can't. But I ask you if you can quote some lines from a movie you watch, man, you can do the whole thing. It's amazing what we memorize when we want to. (laughs) It's amazing. See, and here's the thing. The reason why we don't Okay, we got to be honest, okay? Be honest. You got to be honest. You got to open up your heart just a little bit today, okay? Remember, man just man does not live on, on bread alone, but on every sermon that's preached by Pastor Shane. <laughs> just open up your hearts a little bit. Do you know why we don't memorize? Because we don't value the scriptures like we should. That's, that's in, in essence rare. And I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody is. Okay, I get it. But we are to treat the word of God as if it is valuable. That it's valuable. Do we value the word of God? Do we actually see the word of God as the finest treasure you can have in this life? See, that's, that's the question we need to be asking. Anytime I'm struggling, anytime I'm like, oh, I'm going to read the Bible today. I got to read the Bible today. I got to be convicted. I got to hear God, tell, you know, judge me and all this. I, and I get those times, you know, those, those, those moments where it's just like, I don't want to get into the Bible. And I ask myself the question, why, Shane, do you not value the scriptures as much as you value everything else? And the big one is Wealth. Seriously, do we see it as much as we see the finest treasure? This is very, very telling. This is going to help us. Do we really think the Bible is more precious than gold? Will we scour the earth and risk our lives for the Bible just like many people will do for gold? We scour the earth and risk our lives for gold. And yet the Bible sits on our coffee tables collecting dust. Psalm chapter 119, verse 72. Psalm 119, 72. This is God speaking uh, through his psalmist. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. Come on, let's be honest. Do we believe the Bible is worth more than millions, not just a million, millions, plural, millions in gold and silver? Woo! Do we think it's worth more? Do we think it is? That's the question. Psalm chapter 119, verse 162. Psalm 119, verse 162. I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. Do we feel that? Psalm 19, verse 10. 
Psalm 19, verse 10, talking about God's word. Are they more, they are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Again, the question, do we really believe this? God is giving you a choice today. I got a, a, a suitcase here, and it's got $10 million cash, or you got a Bible. I'm not going to do anything for the rest of your life. This is the last thing I'm going to do for you. I can give you my Bible, or I can give you $10 million in cash. What are we going to pick? Ooh. The things we do today for material wealth, but we continue to neglect the scriptures and not be able to be strengthened by the purity and the church disintegrates and the world devours itself while we do it. The Lord is telling us today how valuable his word is to us today. The problem we have today is we don't believe this. And this is why we've got to yearn seek and fight and cry out to the Lord to keep us from wandering from his commands. I mean, even in the church, we struggle with this. Let me give you another example, help flesh this out. What if Taylor Swift, what if Taylor Swift makes a huge donation to Central Baptist Church today? And this is what we sat down and we decided what we were going to do with this money. And this is what we decided, is that every single Sunday at Central Baptist Church, everybody that comes gets $1,000. And then when I'm done and the service is over, I'm going to be standing by the door over there with a bucket full of $1,000 clumps. And you guys walk out, and I hand everybody that showed up $1,000. Top it all off, you get a bonus. Here's a bucket over here with $500 clumps. If you go to Sunday school, you get $500. Every single Sunday for the next 100 years. What do you think would happen to church attendance here at Central Baptist Church? Amen, brother. Amen. I would say after the first week, the deacons and elders are going to have to get together to discuss building a new building. <laughs> Did you know that I'm giving you today what God says is way more valuable than that? Now watch this. Let me ask you another question. Do you think it would make a difference? Do you think church attendance would, it would make a difference with church attendance? If I still handed out the money, I'm still gonna hand out the money, but instead 
of preaching the word, I would just give a 10-minute presentation on how to live a good life with betterment principles or, you know, or even if I preached at all. Do you think that would affect attendance at all if there was no word of God? Yeah, I see a lot of heads shaking. No, Shane, it's not going to make a difference. They're not there for the word. They're there for the money. You see how telling this is with these illustrations, just telling where our hearts are, where the hearts of people are. Would it make any difference as if it was in the world or if it was in the church? It should. This is why we've got to fight for. This is why we've got to meditate on the scriptures because God says it is valuable. And that's all you need, right? If God says it's better, then it's better. We don't have to think about it. We don't got to put it to a test. We don't have to pull out our litmus strips to find out whether God is right or not. If God says it's better, then it's better. Which means that if he gives you a choice between $10 million and his word, it shouldn't even be a thought. You snatch the word. You grab the word before somebody tries to take it from you. This is why we fight and meditate. This is why we've also got to hide the words in our hearts because it is a treasure, because it is valuable. And the why, and here's the biggest issue. Why in the world do people hide treasure? The number one reason, this is like family feud. What's the number one answer? Somebody is coming to get it. Somebody is going to try to take it from you. It's, it's number one, it's valuable. It's a treasure. It's so worth it. We hide it because we see that it's of real value. We hide it because we want to, because it's valuable. But number two, we hide it to protect it because it's valuable, because somebody or something is coming to take it from you. Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 8. Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 8. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and he scattered them across his field. Some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. The seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as has been planted. Now, one of the tragedies, I think, when it comes to people preaching on this parable is we spend way too much time talking about the 30, 60, and 100 fold times. Missing the whole point. Missing the whole point. Then Jesus explains, Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. So the word. They hear the word, then they don't understand it because they don't meditate on it. And then what happens? then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. It's not just the Bible here. You got to understand that God is giving us the word and something, someone 
the pattern of this world is coming to take it from you. It's coming to get it. So what do you think is going to happen to the word if you don't protect it? Then the evil one comes, snatches away the seed that was planted in the heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receives it with joy. So you guys, you hear the word of God, and hopefully by the time you get to the car, you're still rejoicing over the word of God. Some of us, maybe we last until Monday morning. We wake up and got to go to work, and everything we heard on Sunday, we forgot. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Just one problem. Woo! God's word is gone. Falls away. Then the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but are all too quickly the message is crowded by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. See, family, the word that you receive, they're going to try to take it. It will fall away from you and it will get choked out. So it's not even just the fact that we have the word. You've got to understand that when we got it, we'll get it, it's a battle. They're coming after it. They're coming to take it away from you. You've got to protect it. You've got to hide it in your heart. And let me add to this, and this is very, very prevalent today. Now, I'm not saying that this is scripture, okay? So don't think of me as adding to the parable but it's going to sound like I am, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm just giving you an, an, an extra piece. And to add to this, very prevalent today, you find this in scripture everywhere. The farmer, before he plants the seed, he went to the store to get seed. But instead of getting seed to sow, the farmer or the store guy gave the farmer gravel made to look like seeds. And now he's sowing seeds that he thinks is seed, but it's not. What is this? These are the false teachings and the false prophets that are coming into this world to deceive us in thinking that we received God's word when we did it, when we didn't. So do you see how much is at stake? So number one, you may not even getting seeds, you may not even get the right word, but even if you do get the right word, they're still coming to take it from you. Do you see how much is at stake here, family? This is why I said, oh man, Shane's busting on the false teaching again. Yeah, do you know why? This is detrimental to who we are and detrimental to the lifeblood of our church. It's detrimental. So number one, they're taking it from you. But number two, you may not even have it in the first place. And instead of hiding the truth of God's word in your heart, you're hiding false stuff. You're hiding a disease. It's like one Simpsons, every time I think of this, I don't know why, I always think of the Simpsons episode where they go to Australia and the kangaroo sees a frog jumping and the kangaroo looks at the frog and thinks that it's a baby, so it picks up the frog and puts it in its pouch and starts to... 
And then you saw what happened is the frogs started to multiply, and the next thing you knew, the frogs were eating and destroying their entire country. That's what it does. It's not a seed that you're hiding. It's leaven in the bad way. It's a battle just to get the word. Now we got to protect it from so much that's trying to get it. We got to make sure we got the word and then we meditate on the word and then we have to protect it as if it's the most valuable thing we have. What are we getting today? What is it that we value today? The word of God, we are hearing. Hide it in your heart, value it and protect it. But Shane, I got to be honest, man. I, I don't delight in the scriptures. I don't care about the scriptures, man. It's kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it, but you know, it's kind of whatever to me. I mean, to be honest, dude, I, I, I would have to say, if I was going to be honest, I'd take the millions of dollars. Family, today... Let's not be fooled. Let's not be deceived. Let's not be led astray. This is not the heart of a Christian. Just being honest. If this is how you feel about God's word, this is not the heart of a Christian. Gotta remember, when we became Christians, we became partakers of the new covenant. And what was part of the new covenant? That God was going to write his law upon our hearts. In other words, he was going to transform, regenerate our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, write the law on it, so that now, it's not that we know the law. As Christians, we love the law. We want the law. We desire it. It is our delight God's word is our delight because the sheep of Christ, they know his voice. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. No other voice will they follow. Our view and our thoughts on the scriptures is a big deal. It's no small thing for us to have a wrong view of the word of God. Now today, if we have a wrong view of the word of God as to how we see it, and, and, and just at, at minimum, if you just don't like it and you, do, don't, and you don't delight in God's word, then know this, something is wrong. I watched a, a video this week where the interviewer was talking to a professing Christian. Uh, she was a, and he thought that as they were talking, he thought that some of the things that she was saying was kind of, kind of bizarre. And he goes, you know what? I need to stop here and I got to ask you a question. Do you believe the Bible is true? And she says, No. And he was stunned. He was less like, but you say you're a Christian. Oh, I know I'm a Christian. Let me ask you one more time. Do you believe that the Bible is true? No. <laughs> I, know that, I know that this is kind of a bizarre thing. This is our culture today. This is what's happening. Who told you that it's okay for you to be a Christian? 
and not believe that God's word is true. Who said that? Where did you get that from? You don't get that sense from the scriptures, that's for sure. <laughs> but if you don't believe the, that the scriptures are true, then why in the heck do you believe that you're a Christian? <laughs> there's no way, Valley, there's no way. John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. This is the beauty of the gospel. Family, there's still hope. There's still time for us to be free from the slavery of sin and the pattern of this world. And like the psalmist said before, he begged the Lord. He begged the Lord not to forsake him. He begged the Lord not to give up on him because the truth of the matter is, yes, we do struggle. We struggle with the flesh and therefore we struggle with keeping and obeying the commands of the Lord. And so the psalmist is acknowledging this. Please, Hold me, keep me. Don't let me fall away from your commands. Don't let me chase something else. Don't give up on me. Don't forsake me. And the beautiful thing is, family, the Lord did not forsake us. Our Lord did not leave us. He did not forsake us. And I can prove it to you. I can prove it. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. The wages of sin is death. We are, all by we are all by nature children of wrath. And how do you prove it, Shane? I'm proving it by this. Look at all that we've done. Look at all that we've transgressed. Look at how far we have fallen from our Father. And yet our Father did not forsake us. And He proved it. Do you know how He proved it? He proved it by sending his son to the world. Our father did not forsake us. He forsook Christ on the cross as he bore our sins upon his shoulders and paid the price for our transgressions. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death we should have died. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus' family. He obviously did not forsake us. And the promises continue that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. This is the wonder this is the comfort we receive from the word of the living God. It's the Bibles. It's the Bible. It's the scriptures. The very breath of God. The word made flesh. The promise of life and life more abundant. The promise that brings everlasting hope. The promise we get from the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The promise that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. 
and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.